1 Kings chapter 3. Let me also say if you're here this morning and you are a first time visitor with us at the end of each pew, there's a rack that has, there's a slot that has a card for you to register your attendance. If you would uh, be so kind as to do that. And at the end of the service, I'll be in our welcome center going out into our main exit. And I would love for you to bring that to me and let me give you a gift on behalf of our church. If you found your place, let's uh, let's honor God by standing for the reading of his word. We'll get there in just a second. But let's, let's talk about how we got here to where we are in 1 Kings chapter 3. King David, these, these events take place about 3,000 years ago. King David is dying. And King David has a son named Adonijah. And his son, without King David knowing it, has set himself up as king of Israel. And Nathan the prophet knows that Adonijah is not supposed to be the king of Israel, but Solomon, one of David's other children, is supposed to be that king. So the prophet Nathan goes to Solomon's mother Bathsheba and he gives her instructions and he tells her to call a meeting with King David and he tells her what to say and how to say it and as a result of her going, David calls Solomon and he anoints him the king of Israel. David will die and at the point that we're picking up here in, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, God comes to Solomon in a dream and let's pick up here. In verse number 3, it says, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for there, there was a great high place Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that, offering, on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart towards you, and you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or, or the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before, and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Father, bless the reading of the word. Let the, let the uh, words of our heart and the meditations of our mouth be acceptable 
in your sight. Amen. Let me ask you this question. You're in Solomon's situation there, and you are, God comes to you, and he says, ask for something. Think about that for just a minute. Think about the average person that you know. Think about yourself, and God says to you, and he comes to you and says, ask for whatever you wish, whatever you want. What's going through your mind right now? Just a couple of weeks ago, there was uh, the, uh, the the lottery uh, was up to over $1 billion. Now, I know that because I watch TV, not because I drove over to Georgia to buy a lottery ticket. Let me make that plain first. But Bree and I got to talking about we were watching television one morning, and they were breaking down how much money that would be in one lump sum, and we started talking about that, and we started talking about that large sum of money and we decided that in a lot of ways it would be more trouble in some ways than it would be a blessing. Now, you're all looking at me like you're crazy. But you get to sitting and thinking about all the responsibilities and all the things you'd have to do and all the, and all the people who would all of a sudden be your third cousin. And you think about that, and sometimes probably, and, and what the, another thing we were talking about is the vast majority of people who win those lotteries wind up what? They wind up broke because they don't know how to manage money. So we decided that the, the $7.37 we had in check in that morning was, was good enough for us. Amen. So, but as you think about what people would wish for, people would probably want a long life or people would probably want wealth. People would want help for their families and their children. Um, but Solomon comes to this place where God offers him, God comes to him and he asks him this question. And we see this humility and confession of King Solomon. He says to God here, as honestly as he can, God, I'm, I'm just a little child. I don't even know how to go in and come out the way that I'm supposed to. Solomon was probably, scholars tell us that Solomon was probably about 20 years old at this time. Now you think about yourself when you were 20 years old and you just become king of the, of the biggest nation uh, that was on the face of the earth at that time. You think about the immense responsibilities and all that you would have to do and you're 20 years old. I've got a 20 year old sitting right here uh, and, and I can just tell you if you gave him the, uh, America to run, he'd be, over, he'd be a little overwhelmed, wouldn't you? Nah, not, not at all. Give it to him. All right. We'll put your name on the ballot, son. But think about that. He's 20 years old, and he says, he says, God, I don't even know how to come in and go out. And what he's referring to there is this. King David gave him, his father gave him some last-minute instructions. He sat him down and told him some things to do. But King David had been pretty much an absentee father. And... Solomon says, I haven't had anyone to teach me the ways and the things that I ought to be doing. And what he's referring to here when he says, I don't know how to come in and go out, he's referring to the proper way to worship. It points out here that Solomon went to the high places to worship. He wasn't going to the, to the, to the, the, the system that was set up there for them uh, under the law of Moses. See, there was, a, there was a way to go into the temple, there was a way to go into the tabernacle, and there was a way to go out of the tabernacle. 
Solomon's saying to, to God, I've never even had anyone to teach me how to go into the tabernacle and to leave the tabernacle, God. And here all of a sudden, you have placed this great nation in my lap and said, you are the king of this great people. Now think about this. Years, generations before, God had come to Abraham in a dream. And he had said to Abraham, Abraham, one day your descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. And he made that same problem, uh, promise to not only to Abraham, but he made it to Isaac and Jacob also. And after the exodus from Egypt, now this nation of Israel has come to this point under King David to where they are this great people. They are this massive amount of people, and they are at this present time the greatest nation that is on the earth. And Solomon says, Lord, I'm, I'm, just a, I'm just a child, and I have this immense responsibility ahead of me and before me, and I am going to be met with challenges no other king has ever dealt with. I, I thought about this as I was reading, and I think about my own testimony in ministry. I think about situations that I've gone into. I can remember coming here uh, one June one Wednesday evening in, in June of 1999, I was asked to come and fill in for the summer in the youth ministry. And I walked into a room with nine kids. There had been 85 kids in the room the week before. I walked into a room with nine kids, and six of those kids didn't want to be there. Their mothers and daddies had made them come. And I walked in, and I, had, I, I knew that God was telling me, this is what you're supposed to do. And so I walked into those nine kids, and I walked out that night, and I went home, and I said, Lord, I know you're telling me this is what I'm supposed to do, but I don't know what to do. I'm admitting to you now, God, I'm used to standing up in front of congregations and preaching your word, and now you've told me to go to this church and to, and to, and to, and to, and to help with their youth for a little while, and I don't really know what I, it is I'm, I'm supposed to be doing. And he reminded me of people that I knew who knew what they were doing. And he told me, he said, it's as simple as picking up the phone and calling them and getting some advice. It was, it was my confessing and my saying, and, and it was a humbling experience. But God took control and God got involved and it led me to being here where I am today. Now, if David's contemporaries around him if the other kings in the region had been asked this question by God, more than likely they would have said this, God, give me long life, give me wealth, or destroy my enemies. But Solomon humbly asked for wisdom. Did you know you can ask for wisdom? Did you know that the Bible encourages you to ask for wisdom? James, the writer in the New Testament, the, the half-brother of Jesus, says this, that, that we don't have wisdom because we don't ask for wisdom. And he said God has a lot of wisdom that he wants to give us, but he wants us to ask for that wisdom. How many times in your life if you had asked for wisdom, would you have not gotten into situations, and bad situations that you were in, and now you're having to pray for another way out where if, if in the beginning you had, you'd been praying for wisdom, you would have never gotten the situation you were in to begin with. Makes good sense, doesn't it? Pray for wisdom. Solomon humbly comes to God and he asks for wisdom and here's where we see God's gratitude. We see the grateful heart 
of God the Father. In verse number 10, it says it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. Solomon has no idea that he is he's doing something Christ-like here, but he's actually a foreshadowing here of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where in, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus implores the people, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first what matters to God. Seek first what honors God. Seek first what pleases God. And then wait and see how God blesses you as a result with the things that you need in life. So God honors Solomon's humility. Humility pleases God as much or more than anything else. There's a spiritual principle of humility that's found in James chapter 4 and verse 10 where James says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. We don't have to worry about the world exalting us. We don't have to worry about others exalting us. When we humble ourselves before God, God is going to exalt us at the right time. And God is going to take care of us. Look at verses 11 through 15 there. And what God, as a result of, of Solomon's humility, and as a result of him asking in a way that pleased the Lord, God says, I'm going to give you a wise and discerning mind. There'll never be anybody before you or after you that will be more wise. He says, I'm also, because of the way you've asked and the humility that you've shown, I'm also going to give you what you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you riches and honor. And there'll never be another king who will compare with you all your days. And then he makes him a promise. He says, if you walk in my ways the way that your father David did, then I'm going to lengthen your life. Now look at all of these things, and we, we, we're looking here at this point in God's grateful heart that under the Old Testament covenant, covenant, that God's promises are earthly. Under the Old Covenant of the law before Jesus, God's promises are earthly. Now look at Solomon's blessings that he received here. First of all, look at Solomon's rule. God gave him, Solomon ruled over all the kingdom from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines and as far as the border of Egypt. Everyone offered tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Now, if you look at a map today and you see that tiny little sliver that's called Israel, expound that numerous times. And that was the kingdom that, David, uh, that Solomon was over. And as a result of the geographic layout of what he was over, what he was a king of, all of the major trade routes came through him, and everyone who traded in this part of the world had to pay a tax that went to Solomon. So Solomon's wealth would begin to increase. Then look at Solomon's literary gifts. Solomon wrote over 3,000 proverbs, and he wrote over 1,000 songs. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. And I want to challenge you this morning. Any time that there's a month with 31 days in that month, the way that there is December or July or the other months where there's 31 days, there, is 30, there are 31 days in July, aren't there? Nobody knows. Okay, Miss Sissy, thank you. All right. There's 31 days in those months. Read one chapter of Proverbs every month where there's 31 days and look at how God blesses your life spiritually for doing that. Solomon, God blessed him 
with this wisdom. And then look at Solomon's reputation. In 1 Kings chapter 10, the queen of, ba- the queen of Sheba comes to visit. To, she's famous all over the world for her wealth and for everything that she has. And she comes because she's heard about the wealth of Solomon. And it says in verse number 4, uh, when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no breath, there was no more breath in her. She was overwhelmed by all that she saw. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Solomon's reputation had grown all over the world. And then look at Solomon's riches and wisdom. King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the world in riches and wisdom. King Solomon ruled his nation for 40 years. And for 40 years he was paid 25 tons of gold each year for 40 years. Now in today's market, that would be $64,300,800,000 over 40 years. In, in, in today's economy, King Solomon's worth would be $2.1 trillion. That's how rich he was. Now, of all the people who've ever lived, in second place would be John D. Rockefeller, who was, would be worth in today's money $663 billion. $2.1 trillion. Everything that God said to Solomon came true. God was true to his promise to King Solomon. He blessed him with riches, wisdom, and respect that no king before or since has ever known. The temple that King Solomon would build, he would take the, ma- the massive fortune that David had left and he would build a temple to God, and it would be considered one of the original seven wonders of the world. Everything that King Solomon did was blessed exponentially by God. But here's what happens. Here's the point of all this, is that everything that Solomon had under the old covenant was earthly. Every blessing that Solomon had had been given were blessings here on this earth. Because here's what will happen. King Solomon's kingdom will be overran and overtaken. His wealth will be carried away to other kingdoms. The temple that he builds will be brought to ruins. And his descendants will ruin the reputation of the throne of Israel all over the world. And we see through Solomon and through his life, we see that under the Old Testament and under the Old Covenant that there were so many flaws under the law. And we see that God wanted, he had a plan to correct it and to bring something different and something better through the life, death, and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, under the New Covenant, Promises of earthly wealth and prominence are never repeated to those of us who are under the covenant of grace. Now let's switch here and let's look at the New Testament promises 
under the covenant of grace that are eternal. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 6 through 8. And think about the difference here in, in the lives of these two men. Solomon, who was the richest man who ever lived, and the apostle Paul, who gave up any wealth or any prestige or any prominence that he would ever hope to have to follow Jesus Christ. And Paul is here and he says these words, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now Solomon is able to write all of his proverbs and all of his songs, and he's able to do all these things from a great palace there in, in, in Jerusalem. And he's able to be surrounded by wealth and, and prestige and everything that he does and as he uh, lives out the blessings that God has given him. Paul, on the other hand, is writing from a Roman dungeon. Paul doesn't move from prison to palace the way that Joseph did in Genesis. Paul's death is not only likely, it's imminent. There is no chance as Paul is writing these words from this prison dungeon in a Roman dungeon. There's no chance that he's going to be freed. There's no chance, of, there's nothing going to happen other than his death and his martyrdom for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But his focus, through the words that he's written here, his focus is not on that dungeon. His focus is on an event that's going to take some is going to take uh, it's on an event that's going to take place somewhere way in eternity. His focus is beyond the walls that surround him, beyond the situation that he's in. His focus is on a crown of righteousness that someday that Jesus Christ is going to give to him. And that crown of righteousness is equal to eternal life that Paul knows that someday Jesus Christ himself is going to honor him with eternal life after, after his life is over here. And so Paul is able to focus not on the situation that he's in, but on the eternity that he's headed to. Now, earlier Paul had written many words to the Philippians. It was during his first house arrest where he was able to have people come in and see him and talk to him and bring him gifts and talk to him about their lives. And earlier under this, he writes to the Philippians, and in Philippians 4, uh, uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, he tells the Philippians he's thanking them for what they've done to him, and he, for him, and he says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul tells them, I know that you had to sacrifice. I know that you've sent me gifts, you've sent me clothing, you've sent me money. You've sent money to the church in Jerusalem on my behalf because of their poverty. He says, I know that you had to sacrifice because you're in hard times there, and it was a great sacrifice for you to do this. But he says, I want to remind you that God himself will supply your needs, not your wants, but your needs, and, and he's going to give you the grace that you need to endure every hardship and hard time that you ever go through. 
Paul would also talk to this church in Philippians earlier. He would, he would share this eternal perspective that he has as he writes to them earlier in chapter 1, verses 21 through 24. And he says these words. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Now here's what Paul is saying. I'm blessed either way. If I live, if I die, he says if I die, then I immediately am going to be with Christ, and I'm immediately going to be there for eternity, and my rewards will be waiting on me there, and I will be in his presence, and it's a win. But then he says, if I continue to live, then I get to stay here, and I get to do fruitful ministry with you, and I get to add to those rewards, and someday later on, I will go to be with Jesus. And he says, it's just a spiritual win-win for me. He says, I'm blessed either way. I can die and go and be with Jesus, or I can live and do more for Jesus and have more eternity. Then in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, he really brings it home when he says this, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He says, there's a prize waiting on me, and I'm straining because I'm thinking about that crown of righteousness, that eternal life that I'm going to have through Jesus Christ. And he says, I am there's a lot of things that I could be thinking about in my past. There's a lot of things that could be troubling me and weighing me down from my past. But I'm not thinking about those things. I'm sitting here in, under house arrest, and I'm thinking about eternal life that Jesus is going to give me. Now, in the story that we read earlier, King Solomon, later on in King Solomon's life, if you continue to read through 1 Kings, King Solomon turns from following God and begins to live a wicked life. King Solomon will have 700 wives and 300 concubines. A thousand women, a thousand women who all serve and worship other gods other than the God of Israel. And these women will have a profound effect on Solomon and will cause him to stray from walking after God the way that his father David did, and it will be his great regret later on in his life. You think about that. If Solomon had put his wisdom in his heart instead of his head, he would have been a much greater man. But because he put his wisdom in his head instead of his heart, it caused him great re regret. Every possession he had could not satisfy him or bring him comfort as he comes to the end of his life and realizes that he has lived a life that out, in spite of all the riches and all the wisdom, he's full of regret. You know, we're only as old as our regrets. 
we're only as old as our regrets. I know people who are much older than me by the calendar who are as young as they can be in their mind because they don't think about their past, they don't think about their regrets, they don't think about the things behind them, but they're thinking about the day ahead of them and living for that day ahead of them and doing all they can for God. Charles Stanley, the pastor at First Baptist Atlanta, turned 86 years old last month. And Dr. Stanley said this, you can always be young if you have a plan for tomorrow. And he said that every day, the last thing that he does before he goes to bed is he looks at his plan for the next day. He has photo shoots scheduled for a couple of years from now at 86 years old. He could have retired 20 years ago and rested on his laurels and just went about doing uh, a few public speaking, uh, uh, some, a few speaking at churches, but each and every week he's in the pulpit at First Baptist Atlanta and more people hear the voice of Charles Stanley at the age of 86, more people in the world hear his voice than any other voice in the whole world because of his faithfulness and because he has a plan for tomorrow. Paul says he is able because of the grace of Jesus Christ to put his past behind him and focus on the prize, the eternal life, the crown of righteousness that he will receive someday. Now here's what Satan wants you to do. Satan wants to keep you focused on your regrets and your past sins and your past failures and, your, and the things that would weigh you down. Satan wants to control your mind and get you to think about those things because if he can keep you there locked in your past and thinking about your past, then you are of no use to God in the future. But God the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to remind us that because of our relationship with God the Father through God the Son, Jesus Christ, we don't have to look back. We don't have to look back at what is behind us, but we can look forward, as Paul is doing, to the eternal life that waits ahead of us. One of the great themes of the New Testament is this theme of humility. The theme of humility. Jesus shows us humility all through his life and all through his ministry and all the way to the cross. Jesus shows us great humility. Read Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It's the greatest um, writing ever produced on humility. And it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Humility is the theme of the New Testament. There was a moment in time where God came to Solomon and he said, ask what you wish or what you want. And Solomon in great humility said, God, please give me wisdom and discernment to govern your people. And God blessed him greatly. But somewhere along the way, Solomon lost his humility. Somewhere along the way, when the queen of Sheba says to him, your greatness is even greater than anything that I, I, the half of it hasn't been told. Somewhere along the way, as he sat there and people brought tribute and taxes into him every day, and his wealth began to be greater. And the temple that he built was considered to be the greatest building on the face of the earth. 
somewhere along the way, the blessings that God had blessed him with, he looked at those things, and somewhere along the way, Solomon thought, said, I had something to do with this. God has blessed me so much. And let me tell you this. I had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do with it. God blessed me with ministry. God has blessed me with family. God has blessed me with friends. God has blessed me with countless Christian brothers and sisters and people who pray for me. And it was all because of the work and the act of the Lord Jesus Christ on a cross at Calvary, being obedient and submissive to death on my behalf, being my substitute on a cross at Calvary and doing the work for me and taking my sins on him and giving me, in exchange, giving me eternal life. I had nothing to do with it. It was God's gratitude and love for mankind that he sent his son to die in our place. And Paul said, someday I'm going to receive a crown of righteousness. And he said, it's not just for me, but it is for everyone who has placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross at Calvary. And he said, someday there will be a great gathering in heaven. And someday at that great gathering in heaven, Jesus is going to give us a crown of righteousness. And he's going to, to give us that, that crown of righteousness. He's going to give Paul a crown of martyrdom. And he's going to give Paul other crowns. I don't know. I have a crown of righteousness. I don't know anything outside of that. But I do know this, that at that moment, that at, on that day, that at that time, that I myself, who am unworthy, will join the Apostle Paul and the millions of people who have given their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'll take that reward, and I'll walk back to Jesus, and I'll lay it at his feet because he is worthy. All of Solomon's wealth is gone. There's nothing of it left on this earth. But because of the new covenant of grace through Jesus Christ, every eternal blessing that I have is safe and secure in the hands of Jesus. And Paul tells the church at Ephesus in chapter 4 and verse 1, because of what Christ has done for you, because of God's great grace that he has extended to you, in chapter 4 and verse 1, he says you should walk worthy. You should walk worthy in a manner that honors God. And this morning, my challenge to us today is to remember that, our, that the blessings that God gives us are eternal. That there is no, that the Bible tells us, Jesus himself says, that our treasures are stored in a place where moth can't destroy them, for fire can't destroy them, where nothing can rust them or nothing can, can harm them. Dr. James Dobson tells a story of when he was at the University of, of uh, I believe it, University of Southern California. He was on the tennis team. Am I right about that university, University of Southern California? He was on the tennis team. And there was a great display of tennis trophies there. And Dr. Dobson said that his main goal as a college student was to have his name on a trophy 
in that trophy case someday. When I was a boy, my dad used to take me to the gym at Spring Garden and show me the trophies that had his name on them. Junior Ingram. Dr. Dobson said that that was his greatest goal as a college student was to have his name etched on one of those trophies. And he said finally it happened. And he said he would go by daily and he would look at that trophy that had his name on it, James Dobson. Many years later, Dr. Dobson said someone contacted him and they said, Dr. Dobson, I've got a trophy here with your name on it, and I, I, I wondered if you'd want it. And he said, well, what is the trophy? He, and the uh, person who called him was with the University of Southern California and said, well, it's a, a tennis trophy that you won some years ago. And Dr. Dobson said, well, that's displayed there. And the person who called him said, no, actually, Dr. Dobson, I got it out of the trash dumpster at the back behind the athletic offices. They had cleared all those out to put new trophies in. And it was at that moment Dr. Dobson said he realized that everything that he had on this earth would someday be gone. Everything that he treasured here on this earth would one day be gone. But God spoke to him through that and said, nothing I have given you in eternity will ever, ever pass away. I want to challenge you this morning and say this to you. Where is your treasure stored? God's blessings and his promises to us under the covenant that we live in are eternal. Are you focused on eternity and what, what you are doing now? What, are you walking in a way that's worthy of what Christ has done for you? And are you mindful of the fact that you're not going to be here much longer? That you're going to spend eternity in heaven and that's what matters. And are you working in such a way and storing up treasures there that will never be gone, but will be there for eternity? Are you doing things today that someday you'll be able to give those treasures back to Jesus and say thank you from a grateful heart? Stand with me as Darren comes to lead us in a time of worship in a time of reflection, in a time of invitation. This morning, if God gave you the opportunity to ask for something, after you asked for it, would God be able to say, as he said to Solomon, that he was pleased with what you asked for? The writer James tells us to ask for wisdom and to ask for it to be poured on us. Maybe you need to pray for that wisdom. Maybe you have family members that you need to pray for. Maybe you want to pray for this church. Maybe you want to pray for our community. No matter what it is right now, would you take time to pray? And would you honor this time through prayer? This morning, if you have not begun eternal life, if you have not been born again, if you don't know forgiveness of your sins and you have not repented and turned from those sins, Right now, this morning, would be a wonderful time for you to do that. Would you come this morning and, and allow me to share Scripture with you and, and ensure you that you can have eternal life that we're talking about here this morning? Our soul will be somewhere in eternity. Our 
soul will be somewhere in eternity. And there's only two places it can be. It's either heaven or hell. Where will your soul spend eternity? Maybe you are struggling with baptism or church membership. Whatever it is this morning, I wish that you would come and pray and ask God for his guidance. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Thank you for the new covenant of grace that Jesus made possible for us. Thank you for an eternal life with him. And I pray this morning, dear God, it would be our focus this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.